Well, this is our final Sunday of Month of the Family, and I hope you've enjoyed this month. We've looked at a variety of topics, but in my opinion, we're kind of saving the best for last. Our speakers this morning are Bob and Carol Craning, and uh, they have a number of uh, things that they do in the course of their lives, but uh, the most important thing, I think, is that they've been married 57 years and counting. So I want to do a little something. We didn't do this last hour. If you have been married 30 years, everybody who's been married 30 years, stand up. If you've been married 30 years. All right, so Bob and Carol, you got to stand up here because I'm, I'm, I'm going to see if they're the last one. Okay, 30 years. Uh, remain standing if you've been married 40 years or longer. 40 years or longer. They're not going down easy, are they? All right, 45 years. 45 years. Wow, these guys, 50 years, 50 years, look at this, 55 years. Okay, there's a duel here, we, got fit, we know 57, uh, 60 years, anybody 60 years? 60, oh, you guys are just rookies, oh my goodness, how, 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 how long? 65 years. How far? 63 next month. All right. And here I thought they would be the veterans. They're just young pups, aren't they? Um, well, Bob and Carol Craning, I've known Bob for a number of years. For um, 23 of those years, uh, he was the executive director of Forest Home Christian Conference Center out east of Redlands. Uh, 12 years. In fact, he went on staff after he, quote, retired from uh, executive ministry there at Forest Home to be the interim senior pastor at Fullerton EV Free Church. He had to follow this guy that hardly anybody knew by the name of Chuck Swindoll, you know? Not a pretty tough deal to follow that guy after he, he had been preaching there. He did that. He was the teaching pastor there for a year. And then in the course of doing that, he spawned kind of a new career, uh, and he's done seven interim senior pastorates. So I'm a rookie. I've only done two of those. He's done seven of those, and uh, not at little tiny churches. These are big, big churches, and been greatly used by God to do that. Now, I am told that behind every good man is a better woman, and so also with him today is Carol Crane, his wife of 57 years, uh, and they were, uh, I'm not going to tell you when they got married, but you can do the math uh, and how old they were. But she just retired from 50 years of nursing, uh, most recently, I think, in Belinda, right, at Placentia Linda. And so she's been a nurse. Um, they had two boys. They now have nine grandkids, eight boys and one grandgirl. And now they're working on, like, the great grandkids. And I'll leave the rest of the story to them. Would you give a warm ABF welcome to Bob and Carol Craning? Feel free to just jump in, you that have been married longer than we are. Yeah, that's wild. With approval or disapproval. My goal is 60 years, and you've done how many? 65? Oh, my goodness. One day at a time. Right? You must have passed 70 years of age. Yeah, we got married when we were only four, so. Oh, yeah. Okay, I know some of you women are saying, well, what about Carol? Surely one of you wants to know about me. 
<laughs> um, I've been a nurse for all those years, and in fact, I nursed him through some serious illnesses in the past, and uh, gave that up about three years ago for money. I'm still a nurse. You know, if any of you are nurses, you know you never give it up. But um, it's great to be behind the scenes, but now to be with you on the scene. Good. Yeah, yes, we uh, got married 57 years ago. We thought we were really a lot alike. In fact, we used to talk about that all the time, how much alike we were. But then we got married, and uh, we suddenly discovered we got an awful lot of differences. And uh, we think differently. We do differently. Uh, we like differently. And uh, we've just had to adjust to all of that over the 57 years. And uh, I remember uh, about three years ago, I sat down with... Uh, four interns from the church at Fullerton, and uh, they called one to just have coffee, and I'm sitting with them, and, and one of the interns, he'd been married seven weeks, he said, how long have you been married? I said, well, I think it's 54 years this year. How do you do that? I said, what do you mean, how do you do that? You live long enough. And I said, uh, how have you done, how long have you been married? Seven weeks. Oh, I said, we're well, pretty well into it now. You know most everything. And, uh, and I said, uh, how have you done that? What do you mean? I said, well, I'm just curious. Do you do it a day at a time? Well, yeah. I said, well, that's how you do 57 years. You do a day at a time, and you live long enough, and you love enough, and you care enough, and you can solve problems enough, you can do 57 years. And uh, so that's kind of where we are. Those of you that are married will probably remember the day you were married. I hope that was a happy day, a probably stressful day in some ways. But as I think back of those 57 plus years, um, we were in a church not much bigger than this. And uh, Bob had not seen me in my dress, which was homemade by my mom. And I was standing in the back, and he's looking back at me, and he's saying, she looks pretty good. And she's always going to look that good. <laughs> and she's all mine. And I'm back there looking up here, and I'm thinking, he looks pretty good, too. But I think he has, uh, I know he has a couple of habits. Uh, but I'll change that after we get married. <laughs> <laughs> We're both wrong. It's never changed. <laughs> and I'm constantly changing. You know, when you have a family, it changes everything. And uh, it complicates, but it's blessing as well. So um, we married differently. Uh, he's an only child. I was one of five. Um, and that has problems in itself. One of them is um, time. He's an on-time guy. He's always on time. In fact, he's early most of the time. And I'm always a little late. It's always one more thing to do. Moms, you know, there's one more item to pick up or one more task to be done. And she so always time says, is let's go a little bit late and they'll notice us. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm speaking for goodness sakes. <laughs> Um, and our desires, our habits. Uh, you, you like sports and, uh, as a hobby. And, and uh, having two boys and now all these grandsons, um, I've learned to appreciate sports. In fact, I, I'm pretty excited about sports a lot of times. But my first hobby was music, and that was not his. And so we've had to compromise between the two uh, things that we like best. And uh, he's learned to appreciate a few musicals that I've taken him to. And uh, we've learned that one of you wants to do it, the other is willing to do it, but you both know why you're doing it. And that's including PTA meetings and all those other boring things that you have to do as a parent. But um, there are blessings and there are problems in life. So 
Someone asked last night, how, how do you do a long marriage? I say, with a short memory. You know what I mean? Remember the things you should remember and forget those things that are not to be remembered. Okay, from Ephesians. Yeah, we just, uh, we kind of base what we're going to share today out of Ephesians 4. And uh, we want to just kind of talk about how that tucks into our lives and uh, hopefully can tuck into yours. And uh, we'll, we'll work with uh, verses 25 through 29, and uh, we'll just take them as we go. Um, I think uh, one of the things that we discovered quickly was um, what, what that begins with when he talks about that in Ephesians, and that is truth, just speaking the truth to one another. I don't think there's anything that, that would come up today that someone would tell Carol or say, did you know that Bob, uh, there's nothing that would shock her or that I would suddenly say, oh my goodness, she found out. We just have tried to be incredibly truthful with one another and uh, keep everything on short strings and, and just make it solid and straight and truthful. And someone said to me a long time ago, if you always tell the truth, you never have to remember what you said. And, uh, and there's a lot, of, if you lie, you better remember, because you're probably going to have to lie again. And uh, so we've tried to do that. Um, you know, our children sometimes will tell us the truth, but maybe not all the truth. Um, you remember as a teenager, yeah, you went to so-and-so's house, but you also went to someone else's house on the way or on the way home. And sometimes we don't tell all the truth. We don't really lie. We just don't tell all the truth. But I think it's very important for us to be truthful uh, to each other and truthful about each other, uh, sharing things about each other and talking about our spouses with other people, to be able to say the truth and the good things about our spouse. Uh, it's very important that we do that in a, in a marriage relationship and in a business relationship. It's very important. Our words speak multitude of things. Um, if words are your love language, words can build you up and words can tear you down. And so words are a big part of married life. Speak the truth. Um, lying and in true intimacy cannot, well, it can coexist, but it's not easy. Uh, it's a very difficult relationship where we, where we aren't truthful with one another. That's a Swindoll statement. He said, you know, lying and true intimacy never coexist. And that's an interesting, it's an interesting statement. Can you lie and have intimate moments? Yeah, absolutely. But you can't lie and have true intimacy when you know there's something between the two of you. And uh, I don't ever want to have anything where I'm hoping she won't find out. I just don't want anything like that. And I don't want to get into a fight. Um, we're just too old, and I don't have the energy <laughs> for a full-blown fight. Uh, we'll have an argument here and there, and... Uh, Sometimes they turn into a little more than an argument, and uh, I get loud, she gets soft, and when I get loud, I think I'm winning, uh, only to discover that I lost, and, and that's kind of how it is. We got into something one night, and we were really talking hard, and I was getting louder, she was getting softer, and I'm thinking, I'm winning this, and I'm right, and I know I'm right, and all of a sudden, she just quietly said, you know what? I feel just like your daughter right now. You talk about losing a battle with one <laughs> sentence. I mean, I was done. And I spent the next 20 minutes apologizing and saying, you're not my daughter, you're my wife. I know, but I feel like your daughter. 
And uh, the argument was over. She won. I acknowledged, <laughs> and we moved on. And, Tears uh, sometimes help, too. So. Yeah. But <laughs> you're not, however, you're not much of a crier, so. No, it has to be pretty bad, but um, I do cry. I got a call one night about 10 o'clock at night, and uh, the gentleman who called I knew well. Uh, he was an uh, uh, airline captain flying 747s for American, and he called on the phone, and he was really upset, and he's crying on the phone. And he said, I have to see you right now. I did something horrible, and I have to see you right now. And I said, well, let me just give you a clue. I'm not driving to Temecula right now. We, we live in Yorba Linda. I said, how about early in the morning? Yeah, can we meet at 6? I said, how about 7? Okay, we'll meet at 7. And he gives me cross streets. So I drive down there. I get there about 10 to 7. I drive down this first street looking for the cross street, and I come to the end of town. And the pavement ends, there's a dirt road. I turn around and go back to a station. I said, where is this cross street? Oh, you just go that way. I said, I went that way all the way to the end. Of, well, just keep going. Go on that dirt road out into that cornfield. I said, oh, okay. So I get out there. Sure enough, here's a little stake up with two sides. And he's sitting in his car right there. I got out, and we spent an hour and a half. And he shared with me, he had been on a flight with the plane, and they went into this uh, place and they decided they'd all go to dinner together, the whole crew. So they did. And uh, when dinner was over, everybody kind of got up as they finished and left. And he and this one of the flight attendants are sitting there talking. And uh, he said, uh, the more we talked, the more intimate and close it got. And uh, he said, I ended up in her room. And he said, I'm in her room and the language that we're using is not good. And he said, suddenly, I just screamed, I can't do this. And he said, I jumped up and ran out of the room and ran to my room and went in and just sat down and cried. And he said, uh, what do you think? I said, <laughs> and I'm like, what do I think? I said, well, I think you were stupid. I mean, I, you know, we all get stupid sometimes. I said, but, but you didn't do what you really planned to do. No, he said, I didn't. He said, but, but, but I never, I did what I should have never done. And he starts to cry again. He said, do I have to tell my wife? I said, I can't answer that. I said, my, my question is, if you don't tell your wife, can you ever get over it? And we sat together and talked and prayed and uh, he told his wife three months later, and they're still together. Her son worked for me, and they're a great family. But just one of those moments when it just came very, very close. Um, out of that, I have a little statement. I had it, I had it in big type letters on a piece of paper, had it in my, my desk in a drawer that I looked at every day. And every day for 23 years, I read that in the morning when I walked in my office. And it just says this, never sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. Never sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. He had an immediate, and he came very close to sacrificing the permanent. Wonderful wife, beautiful wife, two great kids, and almost blew it out the window. And uh, I just don't want to ever be that. I'm at a point in life now where I just want to finish well. 
I just want to make sure that we finish well, however long we have left in our lives. But never sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. The second one is be angry and out of doing stupid things, anger can develop. Anger can come into it because we've been hurt, because we've not had our way, or because someone has disappointed us. Anger can be there so easily. And God's word says, be angry, do not sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. You know, that was one of the first emotions that God, that uh, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel handled. Cain was angry, and God said to him, if you don't get that under control, it will destroy you. And it did. It led to something worse. It's the emotion of anger that eats us up. We have so much medication and uh, diseases that develop out of anger and anxiety and worry and all of that, those things that are emotional feelings. And God says in, in his word that we are to let go of that. Let go. It doesn't mean that you have solved the problem. There may be nights when you go to bed and you haven't solved the problem, but at least solve the anger issue. Let it go. Don't be angry about it. You can still disagree, but not be angry. When we got married, we made a little covenant with one another that we would never go to bed angry. Oh, yeah. Whatever the issues are, we would settle them, and we would never go to bed angry. I'd love to tell you that that has been true for all of these years, but then I'd have to speak online and confess, yes. Yes. so I won't bother. But I would say this, very, very few times in our marriage have we gone bed angry. I can remember what it was like back to back in bed, you know, and we're not normally back to back, but we're back to back. And I'm lying there thinking, if she would just say she's wrong and sorry, I'd forgive her in a minute. If he once would admit that he's wrong, but then he's an only child. He's never been wrong, so uh, <laughs> he's not about to begin now. And then so when I wake the up, yeah, when I wake up in the morning, uh, after, if we've gone to bed mad, when I wake up in the morning, I can't even remember what it was about. I'm just reaching for her because I don't even remember what we argued about. I do. And, and she, <laughs> she always does and remember I can remind what you it was of, about. And we've had we things. We start again. We have a few things in our, in our marriage. We have a few things that we don't agree on and we never will. We just see it differently. But long ago, we just said, you know what? Let's just agree to disagree, and let's move on. And we don't throw those things up anymore. And, you know, uh, a lot of those issues are things that are something we can't control anyway, like the extended family. How many arguments have we had on about my family? And we can't control them. We can't make those decisions for them, and, and it develops into something that we hold against each other. So we have to let those things go that we have no control on and let God take care of those. Think about, um, think about a couple of uh, verses. Um, first of all, James 1.19. Let every man be quick to listen, slow to use his tongue, and slow to lose his temper. For a man's temper is never the means of achieving God's true goodness. That's a great verse. You know, don't just let it go. Just get rid of it and move on. My greatest lesson on forgiveness came from my father. Uh, when I was a junior in high school, I took dad's brand new car, first new car our family had ever owned, and my dad bought a new Pontiac, and I asked for it for a date, and my dad let me use it, and I backed up really fast out of a driveway and swung the wheel too soon, hit a big cement post and just tore the right side 
of the, the whole fender up front back into the door, just tore it almost off. And uh, we had to pry it all out to drive home. I got home, I pulled it in the garage, I went in, my dad and mom were asleep, woke my dad up, I said, Dad, I, I, I wrecked the car, I really messed the car up. My dad's waking up, he goes, anybody get hurt? I said, no, nobody got hurt. The, the right side got hurt, but I said, nobody got hurt. Good, we'll talk in the morning. He's gone. Got up in the morning, he said, let's get the car out of the garage, I want to see it. We went out, I backed it out, and when I looked at it, it looked so much worse in the daylight than it had at night. I'm just standing there looking at it going, oh my goodness, you know, you can just see the wheel and everything's buckled. And uh, my dad said, well, uh, you know what, that can be fixed. He said, um, I'll tell you what, he said, insurance will pay for most of it. I'm expecting you to pay for the deductible and we'll move on from there. I said, well, dad, I'm so sorry. I just feel so bad. I'm so, you're forgiven. I said, I know, but I feel so bad. You're forgiven. Move on. And over the rest of my years at home, my father never, ever threw that up to me when I did something else stupid. And I did a number of things. But my dad never said, this is just like the night you drove that car and hit that. You know, I could hear that. And my dad never, ever said that. He said, you're forgiven. And it was over. Did I pay for the deductible? Yes, I did. <laughs> and, uh, and it got fixed. But that's all about forgiveness. And then the other verse is so good is Proverbs eleven twenty nine. The fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. I love the message he says in there, when you do that, you will end up with a fistful of air. I love the way he said that just everything's gone because you've done that. So just that whole line, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down and don't give the devil that kind of an opportunity. We handle problems differently. Um, some of us want to talk it out and just hash it out. The others say, okay, let's just forgive and move on. Um, we handle those issues differently, and so we, we have to learn how to come together and uh, to solve problems together without being angry at the person. Um, because we are different, Ruth Graham said once, if we were exactly alike, one of us would be unnecessary. You know, we, we want to change our partner to be more like us, and, and then when they are, you're not happy with them because you didn't like yourself anyway. But, uh, you know, we, we don't change the other person. We accept them the way they are. And uh, we really loved each other very much when we first got married. We all do. We think that life is going to be passionate. It's going to be perfect, and our marriage will be the very first one that is perfect. But then we fail each other, and we disappoint each other. And we learn that we have to forgive and to give grace to each other and to learn how to like one another. Joey O'Connor has written a couple of books, and the one I like best is, uh, I know you say you love me, but do you like me? Um, there's a big difference between the two. There are moments when we really love each other, but I don't like, you know, with your kids especially, you know, you see them doing something that you don't approve of or you don't like, and you love them dearly, but you may not like them at the moment. And so we have to learn to like each other and to come together and to work things out. I love Cecil Osborne. He said in his little book, he wrote back in 1970, I just looked at that book yesterday, and uh, it's a great little book on marriage and from way back. And uh, he says, marriage takes two very imperfect people 
puts them together in an impossible situation and says, now, have fun. I just, I, I love that statement because we're two very imperfect people and really different people. And he says, okay, now have a good time. Then he wrote two great statements, one about the wives and one about the husbands. Wives. Wives are seeking a mature, strong, understanding, passionate, but gentle, mind-reading husband. And there is no such thing. And then he says, and then he says husbands... I love his little deal. Husbands want an all-forgiving, ever-loving, totally understanding wife. Mother-mistress combination, total lover, movie star, housewife, and a sounding board, ego builder, and one who thinks his utterances are either profound or at least very witty. And I just, I just love that paragraph. And then he said, by the way, there is no one like this on the planet. And... Uh, so I think sometimes we're looking for something that really doesn't exist. Love is what makes up the difference between idealistic expectations and reality. There are things that we expected in marriage, expected in a relationship, whether it's marriage or, or just a business, and they disappoint us. But it's only in our dreams that those things really exist. If they're, if they're real, there may be hurts now and then. C.S. Lewis wrote this, writing to a friend. He said, nothing which is at all times and in every way agreeable to us can have any objective reality. It is the very nature of the real that it would have sharp corners and rough edges, that it should be resistant and should be itself. Dream furniture is the only kind on which you never stub your toe or bang your knee. You and I have both known very happy marriages and wonderful wives. But how different our wives are from the imaging mistresses of our adolescent dreams. And then this final sentence, so much less exquisitely adapted to our wishes, and for that very reason, so incomparably better for us. Isn't that a great statement? You know, less and less exquisitely adapted to what we need, and yet, for that very reason, so incomparably better for us. So it's not an issue of who married the best person, but who can bring the best out of the person that they're married to. And that's what we want to do. We want to strive to making our partner look best that he can be or she can be, and encouraging one another. Um, I often say that if I don't do it as a spouse, somebody else might encourage him. And um, we often say in our marriage conferences, don't get pushed away and don't get pulled away. Those are the things that happen in our lives when we have a disagreement here, we get pulled away or we can be pushed away from the, from the permanent relationship. Um, our third one is uh, let him who steals, steal no longer. That's in there in verse 28. Let him who steals, steal no longer. Talking a little differently than we want to talk about but our question is, what can we steal within a marriage? And uh, I think we have to answer that all of the time. Well, we can steal time. Um, I want you here when you're not at work. I don't want you anyplace else. Uh, I want you to spend more time. I want, I want. And uh, that can be a very damaging statement to start out with. I want this, and I want you to do certain things to make my life complete and take time away from his from his life. You know, uh, these days we have 
issues. We have um, military, we have doctors, we have emergency people that have to spend extra hours away from the home. So saying eight hours in your home is, is not very realistic in, this, uh, in our day and age. But time when we can be at home, um, I can steal that time away from you if I demand your time with me or with something else. Um, the second thing that I think we can steal is individuality. Um, Carol is who Carol is. And uh, I don't want, and, and I would never want in any way to try to make her into maybe my image of what she ought to be. Because she's a little different than that. And that's what makes it really good and a lot of time makes it fun. And yet I think that happens sometimes. We get married, the person, we loved the person and we had a lot of fun. Then we get married and all of a sudden some of those things start bugging us. They were the things that really drew us. Now it's bothering us. So we begin to try to change that, and in the, in, in the process, we're really kind of trying to change the person, and I would not ever want to do that to her. Um, what makes her her is great. Um, I, <laughs> things that she does are just kind of hilarious. I, I was preaching at uh, Southwest down in the, down in the desert at uh, Southwest. The well, I was doing an interim there, and uh, it's a huge church, and I'm up there preaching my heart out, and I... I get to a name that I wanted to say, and I couldn't think of it. And, uh, and I said, and, that, and, and those words were said by, uh, by uh, and she just yells. She just yells the name from the front row, really loud, and people just cracked up. I said, thank you. I would have been here for five minutes going, I, I, it's, it's, and, and she just yells it. And she's done that a number of times. Sometimes not a name of a person, but... Something else that would have been better left unsaid. <laughs> so, but that's good. That, okay, moving that, right along. That's good. Moving, <laughs> moving right along. The next one is we can rob trust and respect from our partner. Um, when we have something that we need to work our way through, um, and there's been a trust that has been broken, um, there has to be a period of renewing that trust, and um, it's possible very possible with God's healing and help. We can restore help, uh, trust and respect with one another. I remember when our teenager, our youngest one, uh, who is now mm, approaching 50 this year, um, when he was a teenager, and you know teenagers, uh, he was a teenager, and uh, he had broken the rules and had really been way out in left field. And um, the only prayer I didn't pray was God take him home. Uh, you know, I prayed so earnestly for this kid because he was really disturbing us, and I thought he was never going to amount to anything. And you know, God was so good. But I remember during the period of turning his life around, he said, I know I have misused the trust, and I have to renew and to build trust again, but allow me to do that. And we did. But it wasn't easy because every time he wasn't where I thought he should be at the time, I figured, well, he's, you know, he's with so-and-so, or he's doing that, or uh, can we trust him in Bolivia where they sell Coke right on the street, you know? Uh, you know? Those are coming to my mind all that time, and he had to work past those images for me and build a trust again, and it is possible. It is possible, and we, not, we, we need to allow ourselves uh, the time to renew our trust and respect for each other and to allow that person to live again.
Here's another little statement that I've always hung on to. One act of treason can wipe out a lifetime of trust. And that's just so true in a marriage. One act of treason, one mistake, can wipe out a lifetime of trust. And I just want to make sure that that trust is there. I certainly trust her and she trusts me. And when I was a little younger, I was on the road a lot. I was gone a lot, traveling and speaking. And, and, uh, but I never worried about what was going on at home. And I don't think she ever worried about what was going on on the road. And we just trust each other. We have a lot of stuff we'll share about mistakes and things we've made. There's some other things that are very personal and private to us that you will never hear about. Have you ever been sitting with a couple and suddenly, usually the husband, says something that obviously was one of those things? And if they're sitting where you can see them both, you see the look on his wife's face when something was said that was very private and now it's out there. And we just never, ever do that in our marriage. One act of treason can wipe out a lifetime of trust. And then our final one, um, no unwholesome word proceeding from your mouth. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Words are like bullets. You think about it, when you say something, those words go out and they strike a target. And they can either bring great blessing and fun and enjoyment, or they can do incredible damage by just what you said or how you said it. Um, Sometimes it can be done with just a look. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can look at her across the room, and, uh, <laughs> and she and knows Bobby's not happy. <laughs> and, uh, but um, a number of years ago, this is back when I was at Forced Home, uh, we were meeting with a couple. I was trying to hire him for our staff. And we were meeting at the Black Angus on Friday night, which was always packed. So I said to Carol, get over there. I've got board meetings, so I'm coming from board meeting. Get over there early and get our name in. Otherwise, we'll be there all night. So I rolled in a little bit late. I jumped out of the car. I race inside. I don't see anybody. And so I walk over to the desk, and I said, is our name on there? I said, craning. Do you have craning for four? And he goes down his list. No, I don't. I don't have anything. Does that name ring a bell? Did you already see them and scratch? No, I got all the scratches right here. No. And I'm now, I'm just, I'm already ticked. I mean, it's I'm just thinking, time. what in the world? I'm always, she's always late, but not like this. And I walked outside, and I'm walking out on the, on the little porch there, and I look out, and here she is coming up the path, coming up the sidewalk. So I go down. I'm not waiting. I go all the way out to her. And I said, what in the world happened? You weren't here. What in the world are you doing? And she just burst into tears. My wife's not a crier. And I just grabbed her and held on to her. And all those words are coming back now. What, where, where were you? And I'm holding her. And she said, I was at the doctor. And they found a lump in my breast. And they've been trying to figure it out. Do you know how big I felt right then? I don't think I've ever said anything in our marriage that I felt worse about than that. Now, we got that all made up, and it turned out not to be anything serious. But it would, if I would have just walked out and said, hey, we're a little late, but our name's in. Let's go in here, and I'm sure they're probably in there waiting for us. It would have been all together. Well, let me tell you why I'm late. I went to the doctor, da-da-da-da-da-da. been so different than walking out and just shooting a bullet. 
You know, where were you? I can't believe you weren't here. And then suddenly I get the answer. And so, and that's, he just says, let no unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth. But it can be restored and renewed if we say words like, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and this is really hard to say. You were right. <laughs> it is so hard to say that you're right. I can be wrong, but I don't want you to be right. You know? um, to be able to say that and to give grace to those in our family, especially within the, within the family, and to forgive and to let it go. And just... You know, it's so easy to say nice things, too. And uh, often, she went just a week ago or a week and a half ago, she went and got her hair cut. Her hair was pretty long. She went and got her hair all cut off. And I, she said she was going to get her hair cut. And I said, really? And I'm thinking a trim. Because um, uh, I loved her hair long. But she came home, and, and it was short. And, and I sat there and looked at it for a little bit, and it looked great. And I said, your hair looks great. She said, really? Or are you just saying that? I said, no, both, both. I'm saying that, and really, it really looks good. And things turn out a lot better than I, how come you cut it that short? You know, that, all that takes is that one sentence, and you've got now three days of trying to catch up. And uh, I just, I don't want to do that in, in what, we're, what we are about. We often use words on the ones we love the most that we would never use on a casual temporary friend or business partner. And I've often said, sometimes we reserve our worst behavior for the people we love the most. And I've had, I've had guys say to me, well, I gotta have some place to let my hair down. I said, well, let me suggest to you, you don't do it at home. I said, because you're gonna hurt somebody bad and you gotta be there every day. There's a great story, an old Southern pastor in Mississippi wrote it. And he said, when I wake up in the morning, before I ever move a toe, I say, oh God, if I have to make a mistake today, help it to be out there and not in here with these I love so very much. I thought, what a great prayer before you even move a toe. God, don't let me say something in here that she'll regret, I'll regret, will regret. If I got to say something, help me to say it out there somewhere, not in here with these people I love so much. Um, you know, we got two great boys, and the one that gave us trouble is incredible. And, uh, and, and we have grandchildren, and then now we have a great grandchild. We have a little girl that stays with us on Thursdays. She's 18 months old, and one day a week's about all we can handle. Uh, <laughs> she, is, she is a machine, and, uh, and she is fun. But that's part of family and part of being together. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is acknowledging that there is a wrong, but choosing to let it go, and to let it go of justification or getting even. Total forgiveness is a God thing, and he will make it right in his time, but I have to let it go. It's easy for us sometimes to forgive, but... It's harder to forget. Uh, and I think the enemy likes to bring it up over and over again so he can keep us in a turmoil so that he can use that to keep us from being effective, uh, either with our children or with those that we rub shoulders with in the business world and, and in living. But to be able to forgive one another um, is a very God thing. He wants us to forgive, 
and to forget if we can possibly do. Remember the things that need to be remembered and forget the things that he doesn't want us to remember. I've always said, um, you know, we want to keep this thing together in the best way possible. And uh, I don't want to ever be a person who won't forgive or we get something that we're hanging on to, it's just crazy. But just to love each other and forgive each other and walk together. And I've said so often, if I, if I were choosing again and knew everything I know now after 57 years, I'd choose this lady in a second and a half. She's walked with me through stuff. I've been through some tough surgeries. I had open heart and uh, had a couple hips replaced. And my nurse walked with me through all of that. And, uh, you know, and if it had been her, I, that'd be tough for me. I'd, I'd be freaking out. And, uh, but she just is a great lady. And we have a lot of fun together. And, uh, and we have disagreements. We walk different ways sometimes. But uh, I'm grateful for 57 years. And if God allows it, I'd love to make 60. I just, there's something about 60 that, in, 50 intrigued me, but we went right by that sucker. And uh, so I'd like to do 60, and that would be really fun. So love each other for goodness sakes. And these four little sections in there, just give us those thoughts that we can put to work and to put them together in our homes and in our marriages. Let me pray with you, and uh, we're done. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for caring about us. Thank you for uh, giving your son on the cross for us. We are grateful that we know you, that we are your children, that you are our father. And uh, we thank you. I ask for every couple that's in here uh, that you would be with them. Uh, some of them are probably perfect and good right now. Others may be struggling a bit. And I pray that you would bless them and encourage them in the struggle. Get through it, let it go, and move on. And uh, just bless marriages. Singles, yes. Marriages, yes. And uh, we need you in our lives. And we thank you for all that you do in the name of Jesus. Amen. Wow, there's a lot to think about this morning. As you apply Ephesians chapter 4 to your marriage, I think there's a, a broader context that it's not just in marriage, but it's in all those relationships. And so today, when you have lunch, look at those four things and say to the person you love, wow, you are great at that. Instead of, you know, here are several things we need to be working on today. Let's, <laughs> let's look at what God's doing and rejoice in the victories today. Amen? Because we know that Jesus Christ is working in you. And I know after messages like this, sometimes you go, oh man, we are just in the tank. But through Jesus Christ, he can redeem your marriage. He can take the bitter and make it better. He can take the hard times and move you to the good times. And um, as you take a look at those things today, make sure you take a chance to greet this wonderful couple. And um, as I was thinking of the summary of all they said, I was reminded of a little quote from Ben Franklin who said this, keep your eyes wide open before marriage and afterwards half shut. Amen? <laughs> Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.